Welcome to God, Yay or Nay. I'm your host, Noor Kidwai. I'm here to find out how we grow, transform, and become our best selves. How we create meaning in our lives. Come join me on my journey. Welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. This is your host, Noor Kidwai. Thanks for tuning in. My guest this week is Corey Hilton. Corey is author of the book, Take It Off. He's a former male stripper and he uh, goes into some crazy stories about his life and uh, also a lot of the transformation he's done in his life and how he helps other people transform. Really cool, fun podcast I hope you enjoy. Please check me out on Instagram at NoorKidWai. Like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating, that always helps. And we're part of the Comedy Here Often podcast network on 604 Records, so check them out too. But let's get into this week's episode, everybody. My guest this week, Corey Hilton. All right, welcome to another episode of God Yay or Nay. I'm here with Corey Hilton. Corey, thanks for joining me, man. Sure, thanks so much for having me on. This is actually a pleasure. I really enjoy doing these types of podcasts. I had to listen to a couple of your episodes before, and I'm a fan from afar, so let's do this thing. All right, nice, man. Uh, yeah, man, so uh, I'll just tell my audience, like, uh, you're, you're author of uh, that one of the Amazon best-selling books, Take It Off. Uh, it's like it goes into your little bit of your life as a male stripper, which is really cool. And uh, you're also an authenticity coach as well, uh, which you're helping a lot of people uh, – bring that into their into their life which i love that's like such a cool uh thing and fits my podcast quite a bit uh yeah. but uh maybe tell my audience a little bit about uh your book why you wrote it and uh yeah just like a little bit about your life story sure well okay first off i'm on the other side of canada so i was born and raised just out of vancouver in surrey middle class society pretty much i was raised by middle-class family that meant to do all the best things, but at the same time, just like any parents, they only have the tools that they have. They don't come with manuals and neither do we. So when it comes down to my childhood, I had a really good childhood. I was raised by two parents. I was raised by actually my grandparents, which is kind of original. And by that, I actually had a little bit of an old school mentality to a certain degree uh, where, you know, a lot of those people of the generation of, I guess you could say, depression era had a lot to do with morality and integrity. They really wanted to make sure that they, they you know, they kept that, that side of their, I guess you could say, values up high. But at the same time, sometimes they didn't really necessarily have some of the advantages that we have in this era, really, when it comes down to being able to emotionally connect. Because for my grandfather in particular, he was military in the Canadian Navy back in World War II, and he had his own set of issues. There were internal struggles that caused him to emotionally disconnect. So just to, I'm not going to shed a lot of light on all that, but I'm just saying that that's kind of like if you're raised in a kind of an emotionally disconnected household that didn't have a lot of I love yous and sweeties and honeys and all that good stuff in it, there is a detriment that comes with that territory. There is a consequence that comes with that territory. No matter how much you love your family or whatever, there is a reality. There's an authenticity to that, to understanding and being aware of it, but still loving those people in your life, right? It doesn't have to be like, you know, I've been a bad apple of good intent at times in my life. So was my father. And so were a lot of the people that were close to me. We don't mean to hurt each other sometimes, but it just kind of happens that way by the things that we have inside of us, right? So that was something that I was aware of. And then basically when it came down to, to just going into writing the book, I wanted to explain that first because I wanted to wait till my grandparents had both passed away before I actually released this book. So I actually wrote the majority of these stories in this 100,000 word, 316 page book 
years ago. Okay, so I actually took took down all these journal entries that I'd gathered through this career from the age of 17 years old, and yes, you heard that right, 17, till 43 years old, 25 years, a quarter century in this insane industry in Canada and the U.S. So personally, myself, I've only met so many male dancers even being in the industry, but I've sure as heck never met a male dancer that's been in the industry as long as I was, and it had as many experiences like I have had in this industry from a very, very unique lens. So even though those experiences were really cool to write down for entertainment, what it came down to was is there were certain things in there that I didn't want to really necessarily expose, pardon the pun, to my actual grandparents because I didn't want to take away that really, I guess you could say, that innocent image that they had of the kid that they raised, right? Like it's just sort of you don't want them to ever lose that love for what they actually brought up in the first place, right? But I had very good support from my family. And believe it or not, even my grandfather who was a bridge builder and a construction worker, even helped me actually build sets for, for shows at times and really supported my career. Even at 17 years old when I was working in the bar going to high school, he even still said, as long as you don't get messed up on drugs, as long as you keep your grades up, I'll make you the deal, Corey. You can go work that job if you want to, if you love it. If that's what you want to do, fill your boots, have fun, son. You let me go do it. And I held up to my end of the bargain, and he held up to his. And so, you know, it's kind of crazy, but... It's one of those things that I think because they raised kids before me, they kind of knew, don't restrict them, just let him go do his thing. And if he screws up, he screws up. Let him fall on his face, and that's the way you live and you learn, right? So, yeah. yeah, no kidding. Yeah, 17 years old, man. That's, uh, how the hell did you get in so early? Uh, this is the next question everybody asks. It's so <laughs> funny, man. Because, I mean, it's an obvious one, right? Like, what? You know? Um, and I actually explained the story so many times, but it is just so pivotal. Um, I actually was kind of somebody that got bullied in high school. I was kind of that mediocre kid in my own head. Like maybe other kids didn't see me that way, but I saw myself that way. I was really hard on myself and still have been actually until just a few years ago, a little bit of perfectionist tendency. Mm -hmm. um, but when I actually was kind of in that era, you know, it's kind of that time in the eighties, everybody's kind of looking for acceptance when you're in school. They want to be accepted by their friends or peers, whatever. You're just hungry for it. So I wasn't very accepted for the person that I was and I'm being bullied. So I thought, well, I'm going to do whatever I can to, that I can keep it in control. So I started getting, hanging around with some older kids and, you know, started going to the gym a lot more and training and got my body in really good shape and had this really massive metamorphosis within a year or so. And then all of a sudden I started getting that acceptance. I started getting that respect from other kids and I wasn't getting bullied anymore. And then all of a sudden one of my buddies turned around and he said, Hey, you know, why don't you put on a university shirt? He was 19, 20 at the time. So why don't you put on a university shirt and come down to Casablanca where I work out here in the U.S. and just drop by and I'll let you in the club and you can kind of get, get an idea of what this place is all about. And at that time, Casablanca was the number one ladies' night in British Columbia. There was like lineups all the way up the street just to get in the door. It was just mayhem. This place just rocked, right? So I walk in and way before anybody even shows up, of course, I'm nervous. I take the bus, I think, to the club and walk up there and it's seven o'clock just as the doors are opening and I'm nervous walking in and I'm like okay I'm gonna go to this club and he's the only one there and the manager there's no one I'm not even sold around right and I'm just nervous it's all get up and he turns around and he says uh he says oh hey what's your name said, I'm Corey he said oh you're going to school and of course I was wearing this university shirt so I said yeah I am wasn't lying but I wasn't going to, you know I wasn't university and he said oh you're looking for some extra income and I was like yep starving student and he said perfect take your shirt off took my shirt off he's like you're hired like, i'm hired for what come here on tuesdays and thursdays you're a topless waiter you serve drinks to the ladies you make basically everything you make 15 percent of everything you sell off the bar 
and you collect all your tips and uh, you do a little choreographed dance routine at the end of the night after the male dancers are done and you hand out a bottle of champagne to the loudest table in the house for the game and i'm like 17 year old kid i'm like bring it Let's <laughs> this is the coolest ever so i rolled right in there and i started doing that and I, I was really you know i had a lot of fun doing that for about a year and then all of a sudden they said, Hey, you know, like I was getting pretty big and they said, you want to maybe work the door on Friday and Saturday night. So I was 18 years old working the door and asking people for IDs and I'm not even old enough to be in the place in the first place. I'm talking to the police officers that are coming in every once in a while and offering them coffee and they have no, like no one. So I literally flew under the table on that one for until I actually got of age. And then when I actually turned 19, I actually pretended it was my 21st birthday and we partied in the club. But it's just funny because I got in that early. So I literally got dipped into this environment of like mayhem and these male dancers that were like the, the top in the country. And so I was surrounding myself with all these people that were so good at what they did. And I would look out there and think, oh, there's no way I could do that. There's just no way. And then, of course, I had one come up to me and he was the top dancer in Canada. And he turned around and he says, you have all the qualities, man. You know, I can get you into this game. And he ended up being my mentor actually carried me along and, and helped me to, to be really professional on and off stage treat people with respect um, really represent myself in a better way than the stereotypical dancer in a lot of ways and i took a lot of pride in that to be honest Nura, it got me to the point where my professional side you know i i in an industry you think isn't that professional um you know i was very creative at times and not clear enough and i made mistakes being too creative and just you know, you have your ups and downs and all that stuff, but I always kind of carried a decent head on my shoulders, especially when I was here in Canada, you know, and that, that's why I sustained this career as long as I did. And, and as crazy as it sounds, like a lot of people would go, oh, God, this guy spent a quarter century doing this job. But at the same time, it really wasn't a job for me because I really loved it that much. And uh, as I was mentioning, I didn't really get a lot of emotional expression. So when I could draw emotional expression out of my crowd and they'd either cry or laugh or scream their lungs out or whatever it was, that was my adrenaline. That was my drug. I loved it. I loved every second of it. And that's where, you know, when you're out of it after a while, it's that you're, you're missing that. I kind of miss that feeling. Right? I love that. No, I could uh, see that. And, like, you had a pretty great career as well. Like, didn't you win Best Male Dancer in Canada? Yes, yeah, second, actually. Truth be told, I, I took uh, the first place in the Mr. New Western Canada in 1997. That's really big. Um, and then basically uh, second in Mr. New Canada. So that's a long story that I was, I, I was still a little bit of a uh, memory of that night thinking I got kind of screwed over. But you know what? No, I'm not going to say that. I, I didn't win it. I got second. I'm going to be honest about it. And I ended up moving on from Canada after that and went to the States and started dancing down there. That was, my, that was where my whole world changed. And it's like midway through my book, you go from like mayhem to absolute insanity. Ha, 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 ha. Whoa, whoa. You know, it's on another level. Yeah, well, what makes America so different? Um, well, first off, there's a big difference between male dancers in Canada and the States. Male dancers here in Canada, we do a lot of solo shows. You might see the occasional dance review come by. But, like, and I'm talking about back in this foregone industry. We don't really have dancers anymore. Like, it's not as popular as it was back then. So I was just kind of injected into it at the time when it was really popular. But back then... You know, we'd be doing five shows a week or whatever, and we'd be traveling from wherever, Calgary, Edmonton, Winnipeg, and doing solo dancing, and we're stripping naked, right? Like full nude, right? So there's things that come with that territory that a lot of people don't really realize that's behind that velvet rope that are kind of disturbing, if you want to get the truth here. Mm -hmm. And so for myself, 
when I joined this agency, I thought, oh, you know, I'm going to go there and I'm going to be taking my clothes off. And that was intimidating enough as it was the first time I went out. But the really intimidating part is, is that before we did a show, we'd have to actually do what they call tying off. I don't know if you're familiar with that, what that is. <laughs> Most people don't know. But here's the reality. And I'm, I'm hoping your audience might be sitting down for this. And if you have kids in the room, just go ahead and put the earplugs in right now or turn your volume down. <laughs> so this is what happens we'd have to go back into the change room whatever that change room might be and it might just be a curtain around the stage it might be the change room it's the bathroom by the where all the bottles are in the back back area of the club whatever it might be you go back in there and you do whatever it takes to get an erection and then you wrap an elastic band around the base to be able to hold all the blood in yeah like with, you know so it's like and that obviously is a very extremely painful thing to do to the human body doing something like that it is like it, yeah. so i've had experiences where i was tied off too long and lost feeling down there like i've oh, had a lot yeah. of crazy experiences that are in my book so of course like doing that for many many moons um yeah it was kind of you know some great parts and there was some not so great parts <laughs> that, right so these are the things that people just don't realize on the other side of it but then when i went to the u.s you see my story is kind of different because I never did any drugs in my life at all. Like I didn't even so much smoke a joint until I was like, I think 27 years old. Um, I maybe drank a few beers with my friends at a party when I was, you know, in my teens, but I never did anything. And so I was really straight laced through my entire career here and everything. All I, I, I was into the bodybuilding game. So I admittedly did jump into the steroid realm for a little bit when I was 23 or so, because I was trying to go pro in bodybuilding. And that's a whole other story. Well, okay. But what you, to get to your answer as far as, Florida and the big difference was is that when I left, I left my family, I left my friends, I left everything that I knew, and basically jumped in a tour van. My dad drove me across the border into the US. We had all my stuff in the tour van. I got into a at a gas station there. I got into the tour van and we basically I, I left my everything I knew for a decade and went like literally diagonal across the country and lived in Panama City Beach, Florida working for the largest beach club in North America there. And it held like 8,500 people at MTV was broadcasting live. And I was like this crazy status rule running, you know, shoulders with like, I can name names, but it's, there's too long of a list. So I'm just saying that, you know, you, I got in, I went into this mayhem bill where it was like, and you have to truly understand that I was so emotionally disconnected and actually like relying on my exterior so much and getting away with it for so long that when I went there and I didn't have any judgment, I didn't have any normalization from anyone. I was just this new guy that showed up at the club. Well, I show up and they're promoting us and I, we drive up and all of a sudden there's this massive billboard with all of us new dancers on this billboard as soon as you drive in and like we're VIP the first day we show up. So my life just completely changed. Like we were getting paid to party. We would show up and in the middle of the day and be tanning out the pool deck and attracting women to come into the club for the show at night. And, you know, our job was to learn choreography. Like it's just this totally different type of lifestyle than the nine to fiver that's going out there and doing his J-O-B. And I'm not taking anything away from that because I've done my J-O-Bs. Trust me, I sure have. But I'm just saying that it's just something that is hard to really even wrap your head around because it's just such a crazy life. And so then what ended up happening from there really was is I started, you know, you're part of your environment. Like truthfully, I think that you're the clay that's molded of the five people that you hang around with the most. We've heard this before. Mm -hmm. well, I was in a position where there was a lot of ecstasy going around that club at that time. It was part of the rave scene back at that time in 96 to 98. Just, and as emotionally disconnected as I was the first time I ever tried that, 
I just went, oh my God, this is a new sensation. I've never tasted this before. I don't know what these emotions are like. This is crazy. And then all of a sudden, like I just, maybe I I walked through that door, but it was a door of connection that I never experienced, even though it wasn't a real connection, like it was chemically based. It brought out a side of me that I'd never experienced. And so do I regret it? No. Would I I recommend everybody go do it? No. But I'm just saying for me, it was just, that was a pivotal moment that changed my perspective on a lot of things. So it's like when you haven't eaten, you've eaten food all your life, but you've never really tasted it. All of a sudden you taste it. It's like, oh, that's different. So that's kind of what happened. And that's where I fell into that really heavy party scene for a while down there. And I went on a really massive high and then I hit a massive pitfall as well through all so again i could be here for days talking about these stories <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, kind of they're, the they're fun stories <laughs> it's nuts, man. It's uh, nuts. bad like uh, i like how you said that though like you tried ecstasy for the first time and that actually gave you this like whole like wave of emotions that you haven't felt before that like you haven't connected to before so i yeah. could kind of i could completely understand like a guy who hasn't been through that like how powerful that can be just like yeah i know i i understand how psychedelics sometimes like i know with mushrooms when i tried them first it was kind of the same feeling where you're just like holy shit like there's this whole like other realm of experience that like i'm not even aware of all the time and then yeah and like i know now that's like a lot of your work now it's like where you're trying to tell people or and tell men especially like it's okay to feel emotions it's okay to allow them to be and to like actually feel and connect with them right 100 percent. but I, I don't even like using the word tell my friend because actually like anybody that that, that that is going through my training has to be willing to want to do it it's just like a personal trainer you have to be willing to want to go and work out i can't do the weights right so i'm not here to tell anybody anything i'm just saying I can gently guide you with the right tools if you're willing to address that to connect the dots is what I'm saying. I really understand why you've probably gone through some of the pitfalls that you've gone through so that Mm. you maybe won't trip over that same thing and fall the same way again. And it was just so so impactful for me when I went through that process to learn that about myself through personal introspection and going through my training that now I'm just trying to give back that as well, right? Like I I don't want other people to struggle with the same struggles that I did. But I will say on the subject of the MDMA or the ecstasy stuff, there's interesting, just a little bit of an interesting tidbit on this. And I am not here to condone it again, as I've said, but there is something that has recently been released, actually, as far as through the FDA, they're even talking about this, where people that actually suffer from PSD are literally at a point of almost being cured, not from taking the party drug MDMA, but actually the pure form of MDMA that they actually use under controlled circumstances by professionals they're finding that people are getting massive, massive results, just like microdosing mushroom or mushrooms as well mm-hmm. or depression. It's yeah. a similar type of thing. Not the same, similar. Right? So I'm not, again, I'm not talking about the rave stuff. I'm talking about, <laughs> you know, I'm really I'm not. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think half my audience is just like, all right, we're clubbing today. No, yeah, 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 that's fun. Depression. <laughs> yeah, no, no denying it. I'm not saying I had a lot of fun on the party stuff too. No, I, hey, man, uh, and honestly, I've had, uh, I've had a couple of people on the podcast who are actually in, uh, their therapists who work with MDMA. So I like, uh, yeah, yeah. So it's been kind of cool to talk about that. And I love what they're working with. Um, but I want to know about your story. So when you went through this like huge high, um, cause now you're in this uh, new location in Florida, <laughs> you're yeah. now like partying all the time and like you have this huge high and then you yeah. said it all of a sudden it came crashing down. So what was the process after that crash down? And like, when you 
where where did it ended up turning to like more self uh, introspection and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, there was a few different times, and I will say just like I, I refer to the drug phase, there was a crash in the drug phase, but I think that it's more the introspection for me came long after my dance career had ended. Like I actually started working on that side of it really hard just a couple years ago. I'm 52 in April, but I'll okay. say like it took a lot of years to even face that. That's why I keep coming back to you have to be willing, right? Like I wasn't willing to face it for a long time. And so I lived off that stage persona. I lived off that alter ego, right? So like I was able to get away with it because my life didn't demand anything more out of me, right? But when the lights mm. went down and I was back in my hotel or maybe I was having dysfunction in my relationship or whatever it was and I couldn't figure my way out of it. I was struggling. I didn't like the person that I looked at in the mirror anymore, right? Because I couldn't really understand myself. Like I didn't really know why I went into this insane business or any of that. So but I will say that that, that my party phase, I guess you could say up and down was really when I first got there, the summer of ninety six, I had a lot of fun, you know, it was just in this really cool like just constant every night having a good time. And I'm talking every night, like just, it was just continuous over and over again. But I was at that age, I was 26 years old and you can do that and get away with it and still wake up the next day and function. Whereas now at my age, I can't imagine that. But I'm just saying like, uh-huh. I went through that phase and then what really ended up happening there was is that I, I started off with this connection thing and having like fun with my friends and the people at the club. But eventually I started relying on that stuff to just have fun at the club so i would be like excited to go out and even if no one was going to go out with me i'd just go and do it and have a good time and just be out there bopping around by myself if i had to and that was actually where it started to get to the point of kind of like desperation where it was like i wanted to always keep the party going so there was a, there was one night in particular i'll kind of never forget it but i've been kind of ripping it up pretty hard and, and like i really looked after my body all my life i mean god i was up there on stage dancing making money off of it so but I found that when I got to this one point where I hit rock bottom, I really took a good look at myself and I was kind of disgusted at what I saw because one night I was out at the club, it was about four o'clock in the morning, the place was just shutting down and somebody said, hey, Corey, why don't you come to a get together across town in this big mansion and there's people coming out there and, you know, just come and hang out or whatever. And I reluctantly was like, sure, why not? I'll just keep the party going. And I didn't know anybody but this one guy that invited me to go out. Right. But I'm like, okay, let's go. Now yeah. yeah. So, so I go out there and, you know, it's awkward and it's just the vibe's not good. And I don't know these people. And I was kind of like, what am I doing here? And then I, I remember I walked in the bathroom, like sun was just coming up by then. And I'm walking in this bathroom and the sun's coming through the window. And it's kind of like cleansing. You're seeing like every line, you're seeing every wrinkle, you're just seeing everything. Right. And so I'm standing there in front of the mirror and I'm looking at myself and I'm thinking, man, what happened to you like mm. you're if your parents right now back home in canada could see you right now like being as moral as they were like if they could actually see you what would they think of you and mm. in that moment i just kind of heard my dad's voice talking to me just kind of like telling me i need to get the hell out of there you were in the wrong place and so i actually like took the time to look out the bathroom window and i looked out and i could see the neighbor actually getting ready to go to work that morning and he had his nice car he has the briefcase in his hand, he's wearing a suit, he walks out, he gives his kid, his wife a hug, gets in his car, drives away. I'm standing there looking at this guy, and going, what the hell happened? Like, I'm, I, you know, all these other people are envying me for being up on this stage, and they want to hang out, get a piece of me. 
I'm sitting here and being that guy because he's got he has all the stability, he's financially stable, and he's not all strung out. So I had this dawn's moment that it was just like boom, smacked me right in the face. Now, did I quit doing SSC at that time? No, I still did every so often, but I wasn't doing it every night. And I kind of reined it back in and realized that I was I was pushing things too hard. I was doing I was it was I was in excess. I was going way above what I should have been doing and not taking things gradually and having a good time when it was a good time. So I was always wanting to have a good time. So, you know, ironically, in the end, here's the crazy part. This is the irony of it all. The way that I actually got out of doing it, the way that I finally quit doing that stuff after so many years, because I used the gateway drug. The one drug that everybody says is the gateway to other drugs is my gateway. I started smoking weed back then. It got me out of it. Oh, you know? shit. <laughs> yeah, it got me out of it. It was the other gateway. It was the way out. Oh, okay. So, nice. So from, you know, like instead of jonesing to go out to the club that night, I'd be like, okay, smoke a joint. I'm like, hmm, the bag of Cheetos is going. That's the first damage I'm doing myself. Right. And I could take that, you know, and so I'm not sitting here again condoning weed and saying that it's the best thing for you. Sometimes when you're in a position like that, and it needs your mind and let me not make you do other things. For me, it was something that worked. You know? Yeah. So I'm just saying. You know, but that was kind of my experiences and up and down there. Like that's kind of like what kind of happened through that phase. But then, you know, I got out of the industry and, and try, truthfully, like I realized after I got out of the industry, there was an element of creativity that wasn't in my life anymore. And that took that emotional feeling of excitement out of my life. And I really was hungry to want to, to get that back. So now I'm just creative in a different way. Right? Like I took the time instead of being the guy on stage doing it. Now my creativity is not from my exterior. It's from my interior. Right? Yeah, I love I'm, that. Yeah, like now I'm using my gift and my value of the vulnerability through my experiences and my stories to say, and I hate to sound creepy with this, but I'm going to show you mine. Read my book. You're going to see all my shit. I'll give you my skeletons. I'll give you everything that I got. And confidentially, through one-on-one -on -one training or through, you know, just cross-referencing with my book, you can reflect on your own life and be vulnerable if you so choose. But again, you have to be willing to do that, right? So, mm -hmm. but that's where I want to make the impact, right? Like that's where I want to to really do something where it's just a different way of being in this, this I guess you could say self-help realm. It's a little more just, you know, you can get some entertainment out of it, but at the same time, like to me, if somebody's going to expose their truth to me and be real and vulnerable, then more, there's probably a better chance that I'm going to probably, you know, reciprocate that because that person's doing it themselves. If they're willing to go there, I'll probably be willing to go there too. And that's kind of what my hope is, is that, I can help men over 30 in particular to struggle with lack, emotional disconnection, and unworthiness. All things mm. that I quite frankly struggled with, but I just covered up. Right? Yeah, I'd like the lack and unworthiness. I think that's a good one to talk about just because I, I really do. I, I've, I struggle with it still. Like it's a, it's a thing that comes and goes in my life as well. And I know with like so many men, it's like a big thing. And uh, even now, like uh, I know with social media, I think that lack of unworthiness, uh, it's for our, all bigger. of our society, you know, it just gets bigger and bigger. And like, um, yeah. so when you were, because you said you had that in high school and you were getting yeah. bullied and then yeah. to get out of that, you started hitting the gym. And like when you were, I know when you became a dancer, you were like, you know, for being the guy with like the best body kind of thing, or just like always literally get titled it. Yeah, you literally get the title, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So, like, um, so if you've used like uh, working out to get out of that lack and unworthiness, but like, did that stay with you over the years when you were during your like uh, stripping career? 
yes, to a certain degree. The thing, though, that was a problem with that was is that working out as far as being in the gym working out is a perfectionist game. It was a perfectionist game when it was in a comparison game when I was dancing. So obviously I was doing contests and there was, there was money to be made for the top dancers. It wasn't much for, or it wasn't as much for the lower dancers, say. And when it was bodybuilding, that was the ultimate perfectionist game because now you're really, really like just, you're using, to my, to my, in my eyes, it was the ultimate art form, sculpting the human body as hard as it was. Mm-hmm. You, you had to be a freak to be a freak, right? Like I was the guy that was like, the gym's closing at 10 at night. I'm in there at 5 to 10, still hitting the bike with my training partner, right? He's looking at me going, this is the reason why you're going to win because nobody else is willing to go here, Corey. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. That's what that was the mentality, right? Like you got to always outdo the other person. So that perfectionist tendency brought me to some peaks in my career where it was like, whoa, you know, this guy's willing to go there. But the problem was, is I was never willing to accept anything less. So like I'm, what I'm getting at is, is that like, here's a good example. I was on stage back in 1992. I dieted down 40 freaking pounds in 10 weeks. I came in more ripped than most guys do for the Olympia. That literally came right out of Mr. USA's mouth. Okay, like I'm serious. And the crazy thing was, even though I got to that point, I still looked at pictures of myself and went, ah, I should have had bigger calves. The yeah, quads were really lacking. Should have hit the weights harder on that. And yeah, the, my ass was looking too big. Oh man, what did I do? Just sat there picking myself apart. Just being brutal to myself, right? So now I don't do that as much. Like I, I realize that other people's perspectives of me, I need to understand what those are to get their feedback, whether it's my strengths or my weaknesses, because what I see through my lens might not actually be right. It might just be my perspective and not my truth. So I'm always, instead of getting all triggered about constructive criticism now, now I'm like, bring it, give it to me, please. Cause I want to be more authentic. Like when I'm talking to you, I want you to know who you're talking to not sell you for something that I'm not and then tomorrow on something completely different. Like this is what I try to do is, is help people align themselves so that they are not selling themselves like social media does all the time where you're being airbrushed for everything that you're doing, make a post and that's not even real. Mm. Right. So I'm just saying I'm not dogging all on social media by any means I do it myself. But I'm just saying that when it comes to just really trying to be the best version of you, it really does kind of require opening the door up to other people's perspectives and respecting other people's perspectives when you disagree with them. And in this world right now, we're kind of black and white tribal on that shit, to be honest. And to me, I'm kind of like, you know, I might not even politically agree with you, I might not even religiously agree with you, but, you know, instead of just getting all up in somebody's face about it and taking things out of context or whatever, I try my best to say, look, I. I might not agree with you and I might, you know, despise what you're saying in a lot of ways, but I'm trying to kind of understand you. So can you kind of just explain why you feel that way? Like, was it where you were brought up? It was, it was it your, whatever it was, like, I just want to know why you feel that way. And then I can understand it. And I don't have to agree, but I can understand it. And let's move on to something we can talk about. Right. But we get in the zone of, I'm right. I'm right. You're wrong. Especially right now where really that, nobody that right knows yeah, because yeah. nobody really knows the answer and everybody thinks they're right yeah it's yeah. kind of like me included i don't know i don't know the answers and i'm not going to claim i do right so i'm not going to get into it with somebody that is on one side of this issue or the other because we're all we should all really be a lot more united and try to be more kind to each other and understand each other instead of just being so hard on each other yeah 
Uh, I am, man. I wish uh, those voices were uh, a little bit more prominent in our society, for sure, like trying to bring each other together. But uh, I find it crazy, though, like how you could be like a guy who's winning competitions and still picking yourself apart, like still having body image issues. Like, how do you help uh, or how, what do you usually talk with the younger men then, like who have these kind of like confidence issues and like maybe it has to do with their body or just maybe just like lack of success in their life they might be like uh kind of like shitting on themselves like yeah. what well, kind of like how do you kind of look at that or talk with them about that number one thing in my eyes honestly is really it just comes down to not like you know like work on your progression not your perfection like we're all we're all different beings on this planet we're all snowflakes in our own ways we're all unique and so it's like we all have different values we all have different feelings that are connected values even more importantly so address and be aware of those is the number one thing that i can give advice to anybody whether they're younger or older right like be aware like that's the first thing and the second thing is is like why i have such a mad appreciation at this age for yoga in particular and i'm comfortable enough to say that is is that that when it comes down to it i have a balance i have a sanctuary that i can go every single day regardless of whether it's here or at the studio and i can get into the reset zone spiritually mentally and physically so as a former bodybuilder who went and actually did so much damage to his body as far as like you know scar tissue and just not stretching properly and all these things that i did wrong i'm actually deprogramming all that i'm taking all that stuff and like literally like repairing it through my yoga practice practice not perfection and actually being okay if i screw up a pose or if i can't go deep enough into a stretch it's okay you know i don't have to rag on myself over it and be like oh Corey, you didn't hit that weight or you didn't do this right so i think that that allows you to actually like kind of like just be a little bit more kind to yourself i guess and mm -hmm. so when i'm not that judgmental I think that it kind of like we're really hard on ourselves. And the one thing that I've said, I've said this on other podcasts, and I don't know if you're familiar with this, but there's an old ad that was out for Dove just soap recently. And it was actually interesting because it was this woman that was actually getting um, uh, sketched out by a sketch artist from beside behind a screen. And he was actually a police sketch artist. And he was sketching her based on what she had the perspective of herself. So she would say, Oh, I have like blonde hair, I have blue eyes, I have uh, wrinkles above my, uh, or wrinkles below my eyes, and I have a knot on my nose. and uh, this, 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 and she'd sit there and rag about all the things that she saw as imperfections in herself. And then there was uh, other ladies that were in the room as well. And then the, so the sketch artist turned around and said, this other lady, come behind the thing and basically describe the one that I just, I just sketched. Give me the same description of her. So she gives the description and he sketches out a completely different picture. So what does that tell you? Mm. tells you that that person they're going to point the the individual is going to point out all their faults all their defects the other one that's sitting there is going to turn around and go she had beautiful eyes and the lines underneath her eyes brought character out and really represented her and showed her beauty in a way that other people couldn't even really probably pull off because of the way she looks mm. so like it's just a difference in the way that you're saying it. it's not even the words it's the way you're saying the words about yourself so this that limiting that negative self-talk is so true those limiting beliefs are so true that inner critic is so true and the inner critic is always there in all of us including me and including you and that's where i come back to the lack the unworthiness and basically just the overall feeling of 
you know, self-worth sometimes. We wake up one day, we feel like we're going to kill it, and the next day we feel like a bag of shit. Sometimes that actually is coming from a place of that inner critic, that saboteur that's, you know, telling you you're not enough, right, or whatever it is. So I just always say we all have our own set of genetics. We all have our own set of tools to work with. And you can just do the best, be the best version of you. and Don't compare yourself to everybody else. Like, hone in on those things and really connect those dots. Because for me, I had to connect some serious dots from the age of five years old, actually, on out just a few years ago to really understand my struggles. And I point them all out in my book. In every single chapter, I go, here's my core value, and here's the struggle. It's right at the top of every chapter. Like, it's literally a reference for the reader to go, okay, I get it. And then at the end of every chapter, I inject what I call my naked truth. But I'm just saying, it's a naked truth. It's the undrug case, accountable, responsible person sitting there looking back on his past and going, oh, crap, you're dark there. Oh, you screwed up there. Mm-hmm. You did really good there. You know, whatever it was, I'm pointing it out and saying, hey, I'm as imperfect as anybody else. And if you honestly think that the problems that I have are over the problems that you had, you're probably wrong. The shit that I was going through is very relatable for any guy. Yeah, it doesn't matter whether he was on stage or he was a garbage truck driver. These are all things that need. So mm-hmm. That's that's the impact that I want to make. Because I want to talk to that regular guy that's looking at himself in the mirror and just kind of going, "I'm not worthy for for what I have or whatever." I've been there. I really mm-hmm. have. Even when I was on stage. So. Yeah, that's uh, that's a uh, cool. Uh, I, I like heard you say like core values a few times this whole uh, episode. So like, it seems like that's a big part of uh, what you uh, kind of are trying to get across with your book and just your coaching and everything. It's like identify your core values. Like, can you give us maybe just an example of like a core value, how you identified it, and how like your process of like aligning yourself with it? Love that question, man. Because I I literally I know this sounds almost crazy but i actually keep my core values in my pocket like this is crazy i take my i take a piece of paper and i write down my core values in one word i write down all eight of them or ten of them and i actually put the feelings that are in line with my core values the feelings that they represent i put them right beside it so that if in the event that i run into somebody or something that triggers me here's a good example maybe i'm driving across the bridge or something and somebody cuts me off and i have to go over it Am I really pissed at the guy that's actually just, I don't even know, that's driving his car next to me? Or is it actually something else that's great? So I can look in there and go, what do I feel like? Oh, I'm angry right now. Or I'm, you know, in a position where I feel maybe disconnected in some way. Okay, well, if I'm disconnected, then I can look at my core value of relationships and go, the feeling that I get from relationships is connection, which is the opposite of disconnection. So I'm disconnected right now. Hmm. Maybe I have to look at my relationships. Is it my relationship with my girlfriend? Is it my relationship with my mom, my boss? What is it? Is it something else? It's not just this road rage is pissing me off. There's something else is getting it's deeper than that. But we don't really keep aware of that, right? Like we just kind of go along and let it be, right? So that's mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say is, is I, I try to keep aware of that. So here's a great example, Nora, of me straying really heavy from my core values and having an impact on my life in a massive massive way without even realizing Hmm. i'm married i'm living in florida i'm been together with my ex-wife now for seven years we lasted (laughs) but i got to the point 
where I was in the sixth and seventh year that I actually wasn't an entertainer anymore. I actually got out of the industry for a couple of years. And actually, believe it or not, I went into ceramic tile and stone masonry and started a company doing that. I was working my tail off in construction every day. Talk about a freaking lifestyle change. Yeah, no kidding. You're not on stage doing that anymore. Now you're out there slagging it on the construction sites working ass off. So I lost this core value of mine, which is one of my my top ones of creativity, which gives me the feeling of excitement. Mm. So I lose my creativity and my excitement goes away. So now I'm the guy that shows up after work every day. Hi, honey, I'm home in a pissed off mood. I'm not happy with my life. I'm not excited with things anymore. I'm I'm even to the point where I'm living a Ricky and Lucy relationship in the year 2000 because I've been raised by my grandparents on mimicking what I was raised by. So like that in its own right was just crazy because it was like destined to blow up eventually. I didn't take the time to connect with my partner. I didn't understand her core values or the feelings that she actually had behind that. So I was communicating with her, but I was never truly connecting. And so when I degraded that and I lost that excitement, I was not the guy she married anymore. And guess mm. what? This is the God's honest truth. The whole time I danced, any relationship that I was ever in, and it was almost crazy, and a lot of people probably think, yeah, right. Every single relationship that I was in, if I was committed to somebody, I never strayed from them. Not one time in my entire 25-year career, including my ex-wife. And in the end, believe it or not, she was the one that strayed with me. Now, I turned around and I actually I passed that blame game and pointed the finger at her for a solid decade after we broke up. And sat there and went, oh, it's all her fault. And just was, I was so hard on that situation. I never let go of that. that just, I wanted her to feel crappy. If there was a storm blowing over New York where she lived, I was happy there was a storm blowing over. I was just like, you know what? You deserve it. I was so bad with that, right? Holding in all this negativity. But in the end, what liberated me, what really liberated me, was when I actually looked at the whole situation and I went, you know what, man? You lost that form of excitement out of your life you lost your creativity you changed and yes she changed too but because you changed she might have took the action because you changed you're 50 at the very least accountable for that as well stop using the bloody finger start using the thumb take responsibility for your own shit and when i did that and i understand why that happened all that pain that i went through on the eight-year course gump walk after i got divorced and all the pain and struggle that i went through trying to be mr fix it it went away because I finally understood it and I was aware of it, right? So now that's what I'm talking about, my friend, about connecting those dots. Because now that I understand that, do you not think that the next time that I go in a relationship, I'm going to be a whole lot better because I'm not looking up at somebody or looking down at them from my pedestal. I'm looking them straight in the freaking eye, right? Mm-hmm. I'm being real. I'm being authentic. Whereas every partner that I had in my former career or my mindset that I had before of perfectionism, I always expected so much of them. Whether it was I looked at them up on their pedestal and thought they were God's gift to this world, and, <laughs> and they would disappoint me in the end because they didn't, they couldn't hold up that 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 expectation that I had of them. Mm-hmm. Or it was the other way around where I was looking down from mine and maybe my ex-wife and going, "You need to be better." And the audacity that I had to do that when I wasn't even willing to work on that myself. Mm. Come on, buddy. What were you thinking? Right? So that's what I'm saying is when, when I started to understand that you can only get what you want out of that relationship if you're willing to do the work yourself. Like you got to be able to continue to do that work. You can't ask somebody else to do it unless you're willing to walk that walk too. But they 100%. have to be- 
Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks for sharing that, man. That's like, uh, I, I really like that. But I, I like how you said that, like when you got cut off from that core value of creativity, that's when you like got rid of that excitement. And like, honestly, like what? I'm a, yeah, I'm a stand-up comedian. I don't know if I told you that yet, but no. like, no, yeah. So like, that's a huge thing with me as well. Like, uh, I have to be creative every day. I have to be yeah. writing. And, um, even like, uh, I remember when I got COVID, like when I was just like kind of stuck in my room for like quite a few days in quarantine, I remember I just stopped writing uh, during that time. And then like, you're right, that excitement goes away from you because you're like no longer like creating shit and like you get that excitement. It's such a beautiful feeling, that excitement like from creativity. But then all of a sudden you, yeah, you everything just starts degrading slowly. And uh, I, I really like that, how you have to remind yourself of your values and be like, hey, these are really important to me. And I need to like put them on that pedestal and just be like, I and remind myself, you have to remind yourself like, hey, this is what's important, because it's true. Once uh, something goes away, that degradation of everything around you can start happening and it happens slowly and it happens like out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. And then all of a sudden, like you find yourself in some really bad places, right? Well, it strays you from your authenticity. Man. Like each one of those strays you from your authenticity. So each one that you're chipping away from, you're getting further and further away from your real self. Mm. That's what I'm kind of saying. So like, I can, like, like my company, Daring to Share Global, that I actually, um, that I got published to, they're actually, they, I work with them to actually help other authors out as well to align with their authenticity so that they can actually write far more clear as, and represent what they truly are. That's why it's called daring to share. Mm. So it's kind of like, and so that's where I've spawned my own training course off of that to help men, but I'm actually helping writers a lot of the time with authenticity, but that was my tool. That was my way of finding, you know, my real true self. So that that's just something that I resonate with. And that's why I'm going down the avenue that I'm going down. But I took like, literally, I can tell you, like I can go through my list and it's always with me you know, truth, integrity, unity, protection, relationships, creativity, leadership, detachment, like those are all my core values, right? And then I just basically have the, the attachment towards it. So if it's integrity, for example, it's confidence and self-worth that is the feeling that I have when I'm being integral. But when mm -hmm. I'm on the other side of that, then I, more importantly, when I'm on the other side and I'm not feeling worthy and I'm not feeling confident, there's probably a, a, probably a compromise in my core value of integrity somewhere. That's oh, probably man. what's causing it. Okay, so yeah, that's yeah. how I connect that dot. So I have all these different, like I said, key feelings that represent these values. So unity is ease, protection, safety, relationships, connection, creativity is excitement, leadership, satisfaction, detachment, empathy. But what I found was, and this is the genius behind our course, this is what I really love. And Diana Ryers, my trainer, actually, the mentor, she actually designed this. It's called her, you know, just the course, it's called the Inner Purpose. And that is, is when you compile all those feelings and you actually look at them, what's one word that represents all of them? So at the time, when I first did this, it represented harmony. Harmony was the word that I came up with. That was what sounded great. But more importantly, is, is not realizing when I'm harmonious and everything's going good, but more importantly, is it the opposite? So if I Google what, what the opposite of harmony is, is dissonance. So if I'm all scattered and I'm all over the place and my life's in chaos and I got shit all over my house and I'm not, you know, things aren't going right. And I have to realize that probably 
there's a good percentage of my actual core values that are actually getting really pulled away from. I'm not mm -hmm. aligned right now. So I got to find a way to get back into alignment. But that's just what I'm saying is these are all like that connect the dots discovery thing that I do with my students because everybody's different. And that's the yeah. joy of this. Everybody's different. Man. So when you're talking about being a stand-up comic, I really admire one thing about stand-up comics more than anything is that stand-up comics have the unique ability and it's something that I can very much relate to, to stand up in front of a crowd and put it out there with the obvious thought in the back of their head, if I bomb this shit, it's going to really suck. <laughs> it's going to really suck. But the one thing that I do love about stand-up comics is when they bomb, they learn. And they actually go and they go, okay, I failed. I fell on my face really hard. Now I know that I'm never going to do that again. I've touched that a lot of I'm going to pull off something completely different next time and be creative in my own way to get better, right? So yeah. it's, like, it's just so in your face. Instead. Uh, <laughs> I feel you. Yeah, well, I guess we're not uh, exposing ourselves uh, as much as some people. <laughs> <laughs> True. True. I guess, uh, yeah. I, but it might... is. I got to start uh, tying off before I go on stage, yeah. I guess. <laughs> no, man, just fake it. Just use something fake. Just, just throw a dildo down there or something. It's, it's a lot easier. It won't hurt as much. I'm not going to lie. Ah, <laughs> uh, man. All right. Well, uh, I wanted to also ask you one more thing before we uh, wrap up here. Um, just because, like, uh, I, I think you in your like just your whole line of work in your life you must know a lot about masculinity you talk with men a lot mostly as well i want you to kind of like over your life like how have it how how has like how you look at like what's man enough like what is manly what is masculinity like how has that changed over your life and have you found a healthier way to look at it yeah i got sucked into marketing that one we all yeah. have i'm mm -hmm. not gonna lie to you. we've all been sucked into marketing that as guys um one of my favorite movies back in the day, back in 1986, was Top Gun. I remember watching Top Gun and see Tom Cruise, and I'm like, he's the man. And then I'm like, you know, he's doing his, it's the whole thing, the whole military thing, flies jets, really cool, good storyline. I was always into it. I probably watched that movie a hundred times. And I always got to that part where he lost his partner. He's standing there, he's crying, he's trying to hold back the tears. He holds back the tears. He's a real man because he holds back the tears. And I always thought to myself, Oh, we got marketed that shit. Because that's not what it's all about. Like, to be honest, my attitude about it is this. When you're in the arc of intensity, when you're being triggered, and that means from whatever value that you're being triggered, that's what you're straying from, and you continue to bottle it up, and you bottle it, you bottle it, you bottle it. You don't let the emotions out like so many of us guys do. Eventually, the intensity gets so high in some way that eventually something comes out and you blurt out something completely inauthentic that might even hurt people around you. You don't even mean to. You're a good-hearted person, but it just happens because you're forced to bottle it up. So I always say, let the damn break before you damn break. Cry it out. You got to go in the other freaking room to be, keep your freaking man status. Go do it. But, you know, I don't know about you, but I can remember when I was a little, little, little kid, way earlier than I even started my story in the book. And I can remember when I was at, you know, having a temper tantrum for example, crying really hard as a kid and crying and crying and crying to the point where I didn't even know why the hell I was even crying anymore. I can remember that. And then I can also remember the feeling of complete total relief when I stopped crying. How like that just, it was almost like every bit of that, whatever negative energy was inside of me causing me to do it, 
I felt such relief after mm-hmm. it did, right? That relief is there for a reason. And so when you don't let it dissipate, you don't let it come out, it's very dangerous and very toxic. So I understand, especially in this era, where we're dealing with COVID and everything else, and we got three or four suicides out there in Canada right now with men. I do really understand where men have a lot of demands on them being the hunter-gatherer. So maybe you lose your job over this. Maybe you got sick over this. Maybe your family got sick over this. You're in a financial bind and shit isn't good. And guess what? The man takes all those layers and keeps them hanging on. That's why I called my book Take It Off. Take It Off. It's about taking off the layers. It's not about taking off the layers. (laughs) So it's like those layers stack on and all of a sudden you're not bringing home the bacon anymore. Your wife's not as happy anymore. Your kids aren't as happy anymore. Things are falling apart and you're taking it all on. It's all your fault. It's like, you know, all I'm saying is, is that like, I just feel like for a lot of guys, like we're already wired with the unworthiness part. You stack on another layer, you stack on another layer. I was that guy at 38 years old when I lost everything after my divorce and I had to start over with just a bag in my bedroom. I couldn't even go back to Florida. I was banned from the U.S. for three years, wasn't even allowed to go back. That's a whole other story, but I'll tell you what. It was, in, it was about 15 years ago, and it was in December, and I was sitting here in Kelowna, and I didn't have my house anymore. I didn't have my wife. I didn't have my car, my dog, cat, white picket fence, any of that shit. I didn't have my beach. I didn't know anyone. And mm. I'd start over in a completely different career and completely out of my comfort zone and completely depressed. And it was two o'clock in the morning, and I was sitting up on the hill here in Kelowna, and the snow was pouring down. And I don't know anybody. And in that moment, I had two choices. It was going to either be complete and total self-destruction, or I was going to get that part of me back that I actually lost before I got married. I chose the latter, but even then, I still didn't really understand. I was still just trying to work on my exterior to try to get through all of it mm-hmm. until I actually took the time to really work on me in this last little bit. Like I still went through massive struggles long after I got past the stripping career, and I could, it was always in that power struggle with relationships. You know, again. Until I clarified these things and I was aware of these things, I couldn't really live the life that I wanted to. I couldn't really be in that that harmony that I wanted to be in. And I'm not saying it's perfect every day. It sure as hell isn't. But it's a lot, lot better than it was before. A lot better. Not on that roller coaster. That's awesome, dude. Hey, thanks for sharing that, man. That's a deep. I love that. And I think it's a really good message for uh, people to hear in our society right now. Um, all right, dude, I got one more question. It's the name of the podcast. Uh, so Corey, God, yay or nay? Well, you know, it's an interesting subject because I have deep faith, but I don't have deep religious faith. I don't go by uh, a book, uh, although I'd probably go closer by my book than I would the other book. The ha, 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 ha. Um, reason being that I just... I can tell you a story. I've been told you a few stories right now in this podcast about myself, and you can go and talk to your friends about it over a beer tonight. You're going to change a couple words in that story. It's going to be a little bit different. And I just kind of feel that although it really helps out certain people in certain ways, and kudos to them if it's making, if you're being a representative of what you're preaching and you're going out there and doing that, I give you all the credit in the world and I salute you for doing it. If it brings you to be a better man or a better woman, go for it. I have no judgment, but I also don't want any judgment on me about flying my own path of not listening to a book and basically following my own journey and being a good person.
being the best I can be for my fellow man, that's what I'm there to be able to do. And so I don't write or represent based off of religious or political ideology. To me, it's just way too divisive. And I need to be able to respect other people's perspectives. And by doing that, I demand that other people do the same. So I'm kind of neutral on that, to be honest. I'm kind of in the middle. Is just like this current situation, I don't know if I'm right. I think I'll find that part out at a later time. <laughs> nice, nice. Awesome, <laughs> man. Uh, yo, Corey, this is a great uh, episode. Thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Uh, let my audience know where they can get your book and they can catch and get a hold of you and anything you want to promote. Yeah, no, right now, actually, like I said, I'm in a really exciting time because I've written this, wrote this amazing book and it's in Barnes & Noble in the U.S. right now. You can get it at Chapters Indigo across Canada. But if you want a signed copy, especially for us Canadians out here, you want a signed copy directly from me, go to my website at takeitoff.ca. Uh, just um, like you can subscribe to my page or for that matter, you can order the book off there. I'll send it directly from my place, sign it up for you. Free shipping in Canada. Can't say the same for the U.S., unfortunately, but I can do free shipping in Canada. And uh, you can chat with me on there as well. And what I'm really, really excited about is, is that for the people that are actually purchasing my next 100 books, I'm going to give away the first level of my one-on-one -on -one training, personal consult call with the first 100 people to do the actual connection between authenticity and emotional intelligence. And they get that as an option if they buy the book where they cross-reference that first chapter, which is representative of that. And they get a taste of what my course is all about. And if they like that, they'll get a discount on the course as well. But I'm going to throw that value out there over and above uh, just to give away with the book. Because the book is 35 bucks Canadian to be able to buy, which is a little bit more than a lot of books, but it's a little bit thicker than most books out there. So you're going to get a lot of value. That's what I was just going to end it with this. If you want to talk about lack, talk to the guy that actually sat there and actually was worried about money and being, I guess you could say, destitute for the majority of his life and had the audacity to have money shoved down his G-string for 25 years and wearing a blue skirt of money all the time. <laughs> I was that guy. So the only way that I'm ever going to get away from that feeling of lack, my friend, is to increase my value to the point that money doesn't really matter anymore. Because if you actually increase your value that much, you can always make it back. Oprah Winfrey can make back every dollar that she's got if she's lost it all today got that much value so mm. i'm just trying to increase my value and give as much to my audience as i can and by doing that i hope that it actually just in some way shape or form comes back to me at later uh, later time in life because we all want to live a good quality life but you know it takes work you gotta you, know, you gotta be able to be aware awesome yeah dude uh thanks all right i'll talk i'll talk to your uh, website in my uh, in the podcast description so people can yeah. uh check Take you it out see yeah. Take it off. Ha, ha, ha. I almost uh, forgot yeah. to give my own plug. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> uh, yeah, dude. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, man. This was great. Very much enjoyed it, my friend. Thank you so much. It was a great time, and I'd be happy to come on and tell you lots of crazy stories next time if you want to hear the comedy side of my. Oh, we're gonna podcast. we're gonna have to do it again then. <laughs> Definitely happy to do so. It's awesome. All right, that was another episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And share it with like-minded people. I really do appreciate that. You can check me out at NewerKidY on Instagram. Or check out my website, NewerKidY.com. You can see my comedy. You can see my comedy dates that are coming up. 
and all that other information. We're part of the Comedy Here Often podcast network on 604 Records. But I'll see you next time on another episode of God Yay or Nay.